On episode 32 of the podcast, we talk with Jay Paisley, author of the Huffman Letters, Civil War Letters to Beaver County, Pennsylvania. On Veteran Voices, the oral history podcast, we like to talk about local veteran stories and with those who tell and share those stories in creative and interesting ways. I'm Kevin Farkas of the Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative. Jay Paisley, welcome to Veteran Voices, the podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you on here to talk about the Huffman Letters, your book about a local Civil War veteran. That is correct. I'm, I'm very excited to present it to you and uh, to talk to your audience and give them uh, an update on what it's all about to uh, go back in time and read my book. It's a time machine. It'll take you back to 1861 through 65. And this young William Hoffman wrote a bunch of letters to his family. And when you read the letters, you're eavesdropping on a personal relationship between he and his sister and his father and mother and his brother-in-law. And it's unvarnished history. There's no uh, revisionistic history. It's the way it was. And I'm very excited to uh, present this to the general public. Well, set the tone here a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in writing this book. Well, a little bit of background. Again, my name is Jay Paisley. I'm a Geneva College graduate. I'm originally from the eastern part of the state, the anthracite region around, uh, not Philadelphia, but closer to New York City around Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Hazleton, Pennsylvania. When I was about five years old, my parents took me to Gettysburg. And that's how I got hooked on the Civil War, sitting on a little round top. And, and I don't know what it was, but some something just struck a chord with me that I I was just fascinated with what went on with the, with Gettysburg and then the Civil War and American history in general. And as a result, it's been a passion of mine to study and read and, and getting involved with any, any opportunity I have to uh, embellish my, my knowledge of the Civil War. So would you call yourself a Civil War buff? Exactly, exactly. I went to Geneva College and uh, I was a pre-med major, but then I switched to education and I, w- I taught biology at Blackhawk High School and uh, that was fine. It was uh, it was very rewarding, uh, but my real passion was history. Oh, I see. And I have a friend. What I was also an assistant football coach, actually a head junior high football coach and assistant varsity coach. And one of my fellow coaches, a man by the name of Wayne Cole, who is a railroad fanatic, and he has over a dozen books on railroads. Very, very, very enlightening books. And he's a self publisher. And therefore, he was really into this, and he is a member on the board of directors of the Little Beaver Historical Society in Darlington, Pennsylvania. And about six or seven years ago, he said, Jay, you can't believe it. We got this box from an estate, and it's loaded with Civil War letters. And I know you're a Civil War buff, a Civil War fanatic. You you should look at this, and I can help you write a book because I have a lot of experience on self-publishing. At the time, I was I had retired, took an early retirement from teaching and I was heavily involved in politics, running for county commissioner, legislator, different different areas uh, to, of public service in the political arena. And at the time, about seven or eight years ago, I said, Wayne, I'm busy doing this political work. And so 
a few years later, I decided to back off the political activity. So I went to my friend Wayne Cole about four years ago. I said, okay, Wayne, let's go to the society. Let's look at this. So he took me to the museum. He opened up the uh, box, and I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. There was all kind of memorabilia. There was the family Bible. There were pictures, albums, uh, Christmas dining cloths, and all. But Along with that material, there were these packets of letters. They looked like they were written about a week or two ago. They were pristine. What had happened was the granddaughter of the lady who received these letters at the Civil War, she took these letters and kept them in a box in Arizona for 60, 70 years, and therefore the dry climate of Arizona preserved the letters. Like When you look at them, you think they were written a week or two ago. Oh, that's very fortunate for this collection. Just so our listeners know that we are in Beaver County, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And this is a, a family from Beaver County, correct? Actually, if he were alive today, he'd be going to Blackhawk High School, which is a, oh. which is a suburban school in Beaver County. Uh, the bottom line is he, he, he was from an area called Darlington Township, which is just a couple miles uh, away from the Ohio border. We're about 30 miles north of uh, Pittsburgh. So we're in that western, northwestern Pennsylvania, Beaver County, Pennsylvania. The idea was that he was, uh, actually he was only 15 years old when he started writing the letters. He was almost 16. So since I had a passion for history in the Civil War, I could see the significance of the uh, of the letters and how they were a, a treasure trove of, of an insight into past history. And it was amazing as I read them. I couldn't believe how it matched with my knowledge of history on the various battles, and because he was involved in over 20 battles. He was a, uh, a member of the 100th Regiment Pennsylvania Roundheads, and we could talk for an hour or two about the Roundheads. And he, was, uh, he started as a, as a, as a uh, private and ended up, when he was mustered out in 1865, as a, as a sergeant. Interestingly enough, he was in over 20 battles, as I said, but he was captured in 1864. He served uh, six months in three different prison camps, which decimated his health. And the second part of the book, it's more than just civil war. The second part of the book documents his fight with the Veterans Administration for his disability compensation because his health was ruined in the uh, in, in, in in as a prisoner of war. My goodness, that 150 years later, we still hear these same stories, right? When I do PowerPoint presentations, I say the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yes, yes. My my book is uh, is appropriate to many different audiences, not least obviously Civil War buffs, but veterans, because when they read about Huffman, they can they can identify with this Civil War soldier, whether they are whether they're World War II veterans or or Korean or or, or Desert Storm veterans. Vietnam, of course, they could relate to him. But we'll give you one little quick story. Halfway through the letters, he writes, I wonder how so-and-so is doing, that coward that ran away to Canada. Sounds familiar? <laughs> this mm -hmm. is the Civil War. Yes. And again, we hear all kinds of horror stories, how the veterans are not being taken care of today's veterans. Well, you can read about how he had a fight for his pension, his disability pension. 1891, he got his first check for $12, which was worth about $3 today. The amazing thing is he was a young soldier in the Civil War, and when he died, he was 92 years old in 1936, and he knew about Adolf Hitler. So wow. this book spans a lot of history. Wow. Now let me ask you, was he conscripted? 
No, he volunteered. He volunteered. So give me a sense of what he was thinking when the war was on. He volunteered. Was he patriotic? Was he begrudging his service? Great question. Great question. Interestingly enough, he was he volunteered after the Battle of Bull Run or First Manassas when when Lincoln called for some more reserves after they they thought the Civil War would end in the first battle and it was a fiasco for the North and then Lincoln called for some more volunteers and he volunteered after the Battle of Bull Run. Now this is really neat. His background: he was a pro-Union Democrat. He could care less about freeing the slaves. In fact, when you read the book, I have a passion to report history, and this is firsthand information or, or original material. I don't varnish it. I don't edit it. It is it, what it, it is. It is what it is. And there's some, not a lot, but there's an occasional in the letters, politically incorrect statements uh, concerning several different things. But, for example, he never mentions Abraham Lincoln in his letters. He mentions Jefferson Davis. He mentions Robert E. Lee. Whenever he refers to the Union, he always calls the Union Uncle Sam. He never refers to Abraham Lincoln. He states many times they're fighting to keep the Union together. That's why he volunteered to go to war, to keep the Union together. You have to remember, in 1861, it was only 80-some years before the Revolutionary War. There were old codgers that were still around at the time of the Civil War, or at least first generation, maybe their uncles, fought in the Revolutionary War. So the Union was very, very important. If you study your history, you'll know a lot of the Southern generals, had Robert E. Lee in particular, had a hard time deciding which side to fight for because they were... Robert E. Lee, for example, finally fought for Virginia, but he he agonized it. I don't know if people realize this, but Abraham Lincoln offered him command of the Union Army before the, uh, the, the, the war really heated up, and he was agonizing over that. Now, William Huffman, that's why the book is called The Huffman Letters. William Huffman was from a family I did all, I did, I've done over two and a half years of research on this. I've, 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 Obviously, you can you can Google stuff. I I got conversations with local historians. I talked to family relatives. I got uh, his uh, pension and his military records from the National Archives, and so doing all this research, uh, in fact, uh, from the uh, Beaver County Genealogical Society, where we're talking about this book as we speak, they were very helpful. They got me, for example, the obituary of his first wife, who died in 1904. So during and talking to the local historians, I got a, a lot of material that makes me really understand, and to a greater extent, where, what he was coming from and what he was, what we, he was all about. Now, were you surprised that there was so much material, secondary sources, uh, primary sources, archival sources that were available to you? It was very gratifying. I was very surprised. For example, I had all kind of questions. One of the things that's really not in the book, but surprised me when I got this information was his first wife died in 1904. In 1906, he married a second woman who was 19 years younger than he. And I did some more research and I, I suspected there was a rift in the family. And with all the uh, primary resources, such as the obituary and uh, local historians that actually knew the granddaughter who 
who gave us the, uh, who saved the letters. The book is dedicated to Nancy White, which is the his sister's granddaughter. She kept the letters, and therefore that's what made the book possible. When she passed away, her husband sent them from Arizona back to Darlington Township to the Little Beaver Historical Society. But in, in going over this uh, material, there was a lot more than, than, uh, than I thought I would run into. It was a lot more than just a, a notation in, in the, in the uh, rosters of the 100th Regiment. I was always had the feeling as I was researching the book there was a rift in the family. And to make a long story short, uh, I got the smoking gun about a year after the book was published because in their Bible there was an obituary of a younger brother who died in 1910. And they gave all the relatives, the sister, who he wrote the letters to, his other brothers and sisters, Ancestry.com, I got all the family relationships. And when I read the obituary, his name was not in there, and he was very much alive in 1910. He didn't die until 1936. So, yes, there's a rich history, a lot of a lot about the family, and um, and so that's what the book is. Mu- it's a Civil War book, but it's much more than simply a Civil War book. It's a story about people. In your research, what did you uncover that was in the life of William Huffman that was, I guess, particularly relevant to Beaver County? In in his life, did he did he talk about home much? Mm-hmm. Did he did he like home? Yes. Was he proud of home? Now, now you're really getting into it. Uh, some neat stuff. First of all, he was a farmer, and he w- he refers to some of the uh, farms in the South and compares them to Beaver County. He was very proud of being a farmer. Now, you have to understand, he was from an upper-class family. The, the area that he lived in, Cannelton Road, which is in Darlington Township, at the time of the Civil War would have been comparable to, let's say, Upper St. Clair or Mount Lebanon in the Pittsburgh area. It's where the wealthy people, the landowners, the business people lived. For example, his father, in the farm, they had a 1,000 sheep. It was a very sizable farm. And his his father went all over the country and was like an engineer. He did engineering projects. He, he shut down copper mines, for example. But William Huffman was very proud of being a farmer and referred to it continuously. Another neat thing, his brother-in-law, John Burns White, was involved with the Harmonites in, in Beaver County, them from economy, the economites. And he, uh, he mentions uh, in a letter that some of the flowers, some of the gardens in South Carolina were almost as nice as the gardens in economy. So there's several references to Beaver County there. Mm. Oh, neat. And uh, another, another reference to Beaver County, which most people wouldn't realize, he refers to a place called Stringtown. And that was news to me. But when I did research and I talked to some local people, they remembered Stringtown. The uh, secretary from Northwestern High School lived in Stringtown, so I happened to run into her. She was like myself, retired, and I ran into Mildred Steinick, and she told me about Stringtown, and and that was mentioned in in the book, which is... uh, I'd never heard of it. Let's just go right to a part of the uh, letters. William Huffman had an older sister, Ellie Huffman, Ellie Huffman White. She married Burns White. They were both very wealthy families. He had a younger sister, Sadie. The older sister was in her early 20s at the time of the Civil War. He was 16. She was, roughly speaking, 20. She had a young son. He had a younger sister that was a year or two younger than he was, so she would have been about 14, Sadie. Sadie was a rebel. 
I told you they were from upper the upper class, but they went to school in, and again, the local historians showed me where it was in Darlington Township, a school called Mount Nebo. It was a, a, a public school, and that's where he got his, basically his education. And they all went to Mount Nebo, and Mount Nebo, the upper class from Candleton Road, would mix with the working class from, it was called Stringtown. And as a result, his younger sister ran with the wrong crowd, according to William Huffman. And she had a friend that was from the working class part of Beaver County or the area called Stringtown. And I didn't know what Stringtown was, but like I said, I talked to people that still remembered what Stringtown was. It was a it was a series of houses that they were workers. They were blue-collar folks. And he wrote this letter to his uh, older sister that basically said, tell Sadie, that's his younger sister, to stop trying. I'm paraphrasing this now, but you can get the book. You can read the letter. In fact, this is some of the stuff that I didn't edit out. He says, he writes to his older sister, tell Sadie, that's the younger sister, who is the rebel, tell her to stop having her friend. she, She was trying to set her girlfriend up with her brother. And Liz Parks, he says, tell, uh, tell her to stop having Liz Parks write me these letters. And he referred to, I'm quoting from the book, that black infernal bitch. Now, that's a stunner. First of all, at the time, I didn't think there were Afro-Americans in Beaver County. And I can't qualify whether her parents were married or not, but that's what's in the letter. So then I did more research, and I found out this Stringtown was where the blue-collar people worked from the local historians. And they, they had a cottage industry where they would take coal, and in their backyards, they would turn it into coke so they could ship it down to Pittsburgh before the steel industry, but to make iron. And they were notorious or famous for having their skin colored black from the soot. So that explains the black situation where he, where he, where he called. And this, this, this young lady, the younger sister, was a character. Uh, they eventually, Hoffman reconciled with his younger sister at, at the, before the Civil War is over. He's writing letters he wants to try to get to her her wedding. And later on, from more research, she named one of her sons after him. But she was a a rebel. Again, I found more material out in 1910, when this younger sister was almost 70 years old. There's a newspaper article in the archives from this room that we're sitting here in the Genealogical Society. There's a, a, a news report that in 1910, when she was almost 70, she was in her late 60s, she got in a fight at a hat store in Beaver Falls, and she was arrested for disturbing the peace with two other people. And according to the newspaper article, the judge gave the other two people a $15 fine, and he said she was living in, the, not the state, but in Indiana, Pennsylvania at the time. And the judge said, if you get leave town and go back to Indiana, I'll drop the charges. So she was a rebel all of her life. But that's the kind of stories that's in the book, that's Civil War plus the relationship between the various siblings of the of the Hoffman clan. We'll return shortly to our conversation with Jay Paisley, author of the Huffman Letters, Civil War Letters to Beaver County, Pennsylvania. You are listening to episode 32 of Veteran Voices, the Oral History Podcast, a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. To learn more about us and to access our other podcasts and online collection of veteran stories, visit our website, veteranvoicesofpittsburgh.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. 
And don't miss an episode of our many podcasts. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a helpful review. You can also subscribe to our podcasts with Android and through email. Our nonprofit mission is to create communities of listening around local veterans and their stories through public storytelling programs and oral history interviews so that veterans of all eras and branches of service can preserve and share their memories in their own words. Thousands of local veterans, their families, and members of the public have participated in our special storytelling events and Veterans Oral History Project. But you know, we need your help. Please support our nonprofit mission by becoming an underwriter or by making a tax-deductible donation. Visit VeteranVoicesOfPittsburgh.com where you can make a secure online donation. That's VeteranVoicesOfPittsburgh.com and make a secure online donation. Let's return now to our conversation with Jay Paisley. Now, obviously, the Civil War was a big part of William Huffman's life. Definitely. And then afterwards, as you mentioned, you know, he had struggles with the VA and, uh, you know, the effects of being a prisoner of war and so forth. Did he talk about the Civil War much? Did you find evidence that it was really something that stayed with him? They talked about it, shared those stories with people? Yes. Uh, I'll give you one concrete example of how I knew he talked about it. I have his obituary. He eventually moved down in 1920, and the last 16 years of his life, he and his second wife lived in in Florida uh, on the uh, Gulf Coast side. And so when he died, again, doing the research, I was able to secure his obituary. And there was a, a, a long obituary in, in a in a St. Petersburg paper. And they mentioned, I'm, I'm still doing research on this because I think in the future, I have some plans to see if I can get together with some people and really make a movie of this because it's a fantastic story of his life. Is Again, from from the Civil War to 1936. So we, we span a lot of history and, and all the intricate uh, problems that he had with his disability. But in the obituary, the author, I'd, I'd like to get some more information from, if I could find the, uh, the there's other stories because the, the guy that wrote the obituary said he had many visits with him and he, he talked a lot about his war experiences. He was in over 20 major battles. His first major battle, he was 17 years old. William Hoffman was 17 years old. He writes a letter with some details. It's in the book of what he experienced in his first major battle, a little conflict called Antietam. Antietam was the bloodiest single-day battle of the Civil War. There were over 23,000 casualties in 10 hours, a casualty a second. And the 17-year-old fellow was in the middle of that, and he writes about how they're chasing rebels up a hill and across a creek. He didn't know the name of the creek. Well, it was Antietam Creek. And how they were shooting canisters at him and so forth. So that was his first major battle. Uh, The last major battle he was in was, uh, he was captured in the battle in Virginia, Weldon Railroad. It was a three-day battle like Gettysburg. He was captured the first day. Again, the historical records, he was captured. I have rosters of the prison camps that he was in, so I know he was a prisoner of war. But the first day, the South 
won just like the first day they won on July 1st in Gettysburg. The second day was a draw, and by the third day, the North defeated the, uh, the South in trying to break the siege of Petersburg. But that was the last major battle. The one before that was the Petersburg Crater. We could talk for days about the Petersburg Crater, too. He was one of the first troops to go into the Petersburg Crater. Wow. It's amazing he lived. You know, yeah, I mean, seriously, when you think about the attrition rate, not just from musket fire, but from disease yes. and uh, the, the wounds and so forth, I mean, the fact that he just made it through the war Correct. is remarkable. The fact that he made it through having been in so many battles and a prisoner of war, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think there was a very high survival rate for no. prisoners of war. That is quite remarkable. Now, I'm curious about his views on the ending of the war. Was he celebratory? Did he think that things ran their course? And that's, you know what I'm asking. I understand. How did he receive the end of the war? In the beginning of the war, he writes a lot of letters that they were very concerned. If we don't whip them this time, we're done. You know, he was very concerned about which way the war was going to go. And he was determined to fight and keep the Union, you know, from dissolving. Uh, he didn't mention too much about the end of the war, except there were no letters from the prison camp. I wish they, well, there were. He didn't, I don't have any letters from when he was a, six months in three different prison camps. The only thing I have is there's a, a letter from uh, a neighbor that, says that they saw the prisoners that were released. Huffman was one of them, and the letter said they looked very bad. They didn't look good. But he was in camp parole the last part of the war at Appomattox. He was the 100th Regiment. The Roundheads were at Appomattox, but he wasn't with them. He was at camp parole in Annapolis, Maryland at the time of the surrender. But he he doesn't mention... uh, a lot about uh, it's just a matter of fact is getting discharged and uh, having the money from his brother-in-law sent to him. I, I feel that he got back pay for six months in a prison camp and he sent the money to his brother to keep and then he asked for it back. And in the beginning of the war, he was concerned that they were going to lose it. At the end, he was just uh, very matter of fact. It was uh, it was a done deal. You know, the Civil War to me is remarkable because it was American versus American. That's right. How did William Huffman refer to his fellow Americans who were Confederates? Rebels, Confederates. He didn't call them traitors. He was more he was he was more upset with the people that didn't fight for the North than he was for the Southerners. He didn't rant and rave about the dirty, rotten traitors and so forth. It was uh, now was there forgiveness for him after the war? I don't have any uh, direct evidence, but I do think knowing knowing the family and knowing him. I have a feeling he was a pretty pragmatic person. There wasn't any evidence where he was uh, was very hostile. Now, he was very involved in the GAR, the Grand Army of the Republic. That was the uh, veterans organization. He was he was very big and he was very much involved with the GAR. Was that big in Beaver County? Yes, it was. It was big all over. There were at, in about uh, 1890. There were over 400,000 members of the GAR. There were six presidents that came from the GAR. Yeah, the last member died about 1957. Wow. I know Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall in Pittsburgh was built by the GAR. Exactly. Was he involved with that group at all, with uh, that project? No, he was in the Beaver County, Beaver Falls, GA, actually the Darlington GAR. They had various posts, just like the veterans have posts. Let me tell you a quick story about the Soldiers and Sailors. I think you'll appreciate this. When I first published the book, this is about it's about two years now since I've 
since I started promoting the book. And uh, I got a call from uh, a curator, one of the curators of Soldiers and Sailors Hall, Mike Krauss. I don't know. You know Mike? Okay. Good guy. So uh, Mike gives me a call. He says, Jay, uh, I understand you have a Civil War book. Could, could we have a copy? I said, sure, Mike. I'll, I'll run one down for you. We set up an appointment. So I go down to Pittsburgh, and soldiers and sailors kind of neat. They, they escort me past the long lines, and I go in the back door, and Mike's waiting for me. And I give him the book, and he looks at it. He's, he's pleased with it. So he's giving me the tour. It's fascinating. So Mike's giving me the tour. So when we're all done now, this is the first time I met the man. I said, Mike, you know, this book, this Hoffman letters, it's amazing how it matches up. You're, you're, you're very knowledgeable, of course, and, and when you read the book, you'll see that 90-some percent of the things that he writes matches up with what contemporary history says. But you get it from an enlisted man's perspective, not from a college professor doing research or a general or an officer. I said, but you know, there was one case, there was a, the biggest uh, conflict was at the Petersburg Crater. I said, you, obviously, you know about the Petersburg Crater. And he smiled and said, yes. I said, well, according to the letters, and he wrote this a day or two after the event, not 50 years later when his memory might have been, you know, not too accurate. I said, you know what the movie is, uh, uh, Stone Mountain? Uh, no, that's, uh, what's the movie? Uh, it's a movie that starts with the Petersburg crater exploding. But anyway, it's a Civil War. I said, do you know that? And now Mike looked at me kind of funny. And I could see that something's going on here, you know, reading his body language. Stone Mountain. But the, I said, he said, yes. I said, well, and according to the experts, they're panning that movie because they said the opening scene, the Petersburg crater explodes in the daylight and you can see arms and legs. That's what starts the, the movie. And the critics say, that's wrong. Historically, the crater blew up at 4.30 in the morning. It was at night. And so the movie's wrong. Now Mike's looking at me kind of funny. I said, according to this book, The Hoffman Letters, and I'll believe him because he was one of the first to go in. He said they went in when the, it blew up. It was nighttime. And I'll believe him rather than what the historians say. Now what happened was it was supposed to blow up at 4.30, but the fuses got separated. And so 4.30 comes no explosion. Quarter to five comes no explosion. About 10 to five, when they redid the fuses, then it blew up. So, actually, it was correct. But I mean, he said, we went in at daylight. That's what he wrote in the letter. So, Mike Krauss gets a big green. So, I'm glad to hear that because I was the technical advisor to that movie. <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> so, that's my little story about soldiers and sailors' halts. <laughs> he, he would have been upset if I would have said, you know, that movie was lousy. But, but Hoffman's letters back up with, uh, with the movie. It's Cold Mountain. Cold Mountain's the name of it. Cold, Cold Mountain. Mountain. Okay. So, that's a little bit of soldiers and sailors' story. So I always like to ask for our guests to share some advice, you know, for for somebody out there who may uncover stories in their own attic mm -hmm. and they want to tell that story. What advice would you give somebody? Well, self-publishing gets a little complicated. I was very fortunate that, as I re referred to earlier, my friend Wayne Cole had been there and done that. So he, he guided me through a lot of the uh, pitfalls and what to look out for. So I would say somebody that wants to tell the story, they would probably want to self-publish. In order to self-publish, the first thing they would want to do is check, you can check it out, Google it on the internet, see what local publishing companies are. The first one uh, that I got was from outside of Cleveland, and then my second uh, edition is, is a publishing company outside of Butler. So I think the first thing, if you want to get the story out, you want to self-publish, I think you will have a, an easier 
uh, way of doing it rather than to do a manuscript and try to send it into a, a major publishing company. And uh, so I would talk to other self-publishers. That's another thing. I just was at the uh, Beaver County Book Fair a couple weeks ago, and they had 80 authors, and many of them were self-publishers. So you could you could Google self-publishers or check that out and pick the brains of people that have self-published. And secondly, I would urge the person not to get carried away and uh, have a strict budget. Uh, I have a friend who's uh, has some experience where uh, they did not uh, follow a budget and it can be a money pit. So I would caution anybody that, that don't think, uh, well, I'm going to self-publish and I'm going to sell millions of books and make a lot of money. Don't, you know, be realistic. It may or may not. Uh, for me, my objective was to get the word out. And if somebody w- would have some letters or some information on the on, on veterans, I think they would have the same objective to get the word out, not to not to uh, be a millionaire. So keep that in mind. Have a have a strict budget. And I would add to that that, you know, when one is doing research, that that places like where we are now, mm-hmm. right, the Beaver County Genealogy and History Center exactly. are great resources in our communities that, you know, have have that information specific to our communities. Right. You're not going to find or you probably won't find information very specific and detailed about Beaver County in Pittsburgh right. or other locations. It's going to be right here, right, where we are. You're right. That's a good hint. So... Where can we find your book? The book can be found at the uh, at the Greersburg Academy in Darlington, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's right by the post office in downtown Darlington. I have some books at several local stores, but I think the, the biggest thing is if you want to get the book, you can contact me and uh, I can send the book. It's, it's $20 and then there's $5 shipping cost but you can contact me through my email. It's jpaisley at comcast.net. That's J-A-Y underscore P-A-I-S-L-E-Y at comcast.net. Jay, thank you for sharing the story of William Hoffman. I'm glad to have the opportunity to get the word out. Thank you. Our guest today has been Jay Paisley, author of The Hoffman Letters, Civil War Letters to Beaver County, Pennsylvania. I'm Kevin Farkas. Thanks for joining us. And remember, every veteran has a story to tell, and we are listening. See you next time on Veteran Voices, the Oral History Podcast.